This week's Torah content has been sponsored by the Fishbines, who enjoy reading the sponsorship messages every week in honor of Chen and Max's wedding and with a tefillah for a lasting peace in Israel. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Machshava Lab podcast, where we explore a wide range of topics in Jewish philosophy, methodology, and any other miscellaneous topics I find interesting. I call this podcast Machshava Lab because this is where we experiment with questions, texts, and ideas in an effort to develop our Machshava in a hands-on, exploratory, first-hand manner. So today I want to do another uh, audiobook style reading of a blog post I wrote in July 2014. Uh, the title of the post is Seltzer Theories versus Jam Theories. And I wrote this initially to be about um, methodology in, I mean, really it's about methodology in all areas of learning. I guess what I had in mind is um, how to differentiate between plausible uh, implausible and practically impossible theories uh, that are put forth in uh, in matters of Jewish philosophy or interpretations of uh, texts. But uh, I guess, unfortunately, uh, this has gained new relevance in the uh, in 2020 and 2021 when we find ourselves faced with uh, a uh, what seems like an inordinate number of of quote unquote crazy theories in. Um, when it comes to uh, politics and uh, coronavirus and vaccines and all these other things. Uh, and that's why I referenced it in my uh, my previous um, blog post uh, podcast episode on the Sefer Chinook's uh, take on opposition to corona vaccine, uh, coronavirus vaccines. So without further ado, this is the reading of the post entitled Seltzer Theories versus Jam Theories. Say what you will about Sigmund Freud, but one thing is clear. He was a thinker. Not only was he a thinker, but he had a particular knack for writing about one of my favorite subjects, methodology. Freud's writings are brimming with methodological insights, which have helped me in all areas of learning. One of my favorite methodology points can be found in the new introductory lectures on psychoanalysis, lecture number 30, Dreams and Occultism. Freud takes up the question as to whether there is any legitimacy to quote-unquote occult phenomena, such as telepathy, fortune tellers, and prophetic dreams. Freud writes, Quote, we propose to proceed with these things as we do with any other scientific material. First of all, to establish whether such events can really be shown to occur, and then, and only then, when their factual nature cannot be doubted, to, con to concern ourselves with their explanation. End quote. But Freud notes that we are confronted by difficulties even before we begin our investigation. Quote, it cannot be denied, however, that even the putting of this decision into action is made hard for us by intellectual, psychological, and historical factors. The case is not the same as when we approach other investigations, end quote. He then presents a key methodological insight, uh, and this is going to be a long excerpt here. Quote, let us suppose that the question at issue is the constitution of the interior of the earth. We have, as you are aware, no certain knowledge about it. We suspect that it consists of heavy metals in an incandescent state. Then let us imagine that someone puts forward an assertion that the interior of the earth consists of water saturated with carbonic acid, that is to say, with a kind of soda water. We shall no doubt say that this is most improbable, that it contradicts all our expectations and pays no attention to the known facts which have led us to adopt the metal hypothesis. Nevertheless, it is not inconceivable. If someone were to show us a way of testing the soda water hypothesis, we should follow it without objecting. But suppose now that someone else comes along and seriously asserts that the core of the earth consists of jam. 
Our reaction to this will be quite different. We shall tell ourselves that the, that jam does not occur in nature, that it is a product of human cooking, that moreover the existence of this material presupposes the presence of fruit trees and their fruit, and that we cannot see how we can locate vegetation and human cookery in the interior of the earth. The result of these intellectual objections will be a switching of our interest. Instead of starting upon an investigation of whether the core of the earth really consists of jam, we shall ask ourselves what sort of person this must be who can arrive at such a notion, or at most we shall ask him where he got it from. The unlucky inventor of the jam theory will be very much insulted and will complain that we are refusing to make an objective investigation of his assertion on the ground of a pretendedly scientific prejudice. But this will be of no help to him. We perceive that prejudices are not always to be reprobated, but that they are sometimes justified and expedient because they save us useless labor. In fact, they are only conclusions based on an analogy with other well-founded judgments. A whole number of occultist assertions have the same sort of effect on us as the jam hypothesis, so that we consider ourselves justified in rejecting them at sight without further investigation. End quote. There you have Freud's subdivision. In summary, there are three types of theories. Type number one, heavy metal theory. There are theories which are natural extensions of, or at least do not contradict, our current empirical data and our theoretical framework. These are the theories to which we are most willing to devote our time and energy to clarify and develop, and to eventually verify or falsify. Type number two, seltzer theory. Then there are theories which strike us as improbable or counterintuitive. Sometimes this is because these theories would require much more or much different data than we presently have. Sometimes it is because the framework of the proposed theory is so radically different from the current theory that it seems unlikely to be true. We would need a compelling reason to devote our time and energy to researching a seltzer theory. For example, if the theory were proposed uh, by someone in whom we have emunas chachamim, trust in the sages, or if a theory were badly needed for a practical reason and all heavy metal theories had already been tested. Type number three, jam theory. Finally, there are the theories which strike us not only as improbable, but impossible, inconceivable, or absurd. Everything we know indicates that this theory can't be true, and therefore it is not worth our time to devote time, sorry, it is not worth our while to devote time and energy to determining its validity. In my opinion, the subdivision is entirely a matter of practicality. If we had infinite time and resources, we would investigate every theory. However, since our time and resources are limited, we must pick and choose which theories warrant a serious investigation and which do not. This threefold rubric is a good tool for making such a decision. Nevertheless, Freud, in his typical intellectual honesty, raises a problem with our rejection of jam theories. Quote, but all the same, the problem, the position is not so simple. A comparison like the one I have chosen proves nothing or proves as little as comparisons in general. It remains doubtful whether it fits the case, and it is clear that its choice was already determined by our attitude of contemptuous rejection. Prejudices are sometimes expedient and justified, but sometimes they are erroneous and detrimental, and one can never tell when they are the one and when the other. The history of science itself abounds in instances which are a warning against premature condemnation. For a long time, it was regarded as a senseless hypothesis to suppose that the stones which we now call meteorites could have reached the earth from outer space, or that the rocks forming mountains in which the remains of shells are embedded could have once formed the bed of the sea. Incidentally, much of the same thing, much the same thing happened to our psychoanalysis when it was brought when it brought forward its inference of there being an unconscious. Thus, we analysts have special reason to be careful in using intellectual considerations for rejecting new hypotheses and must admit that they do not relieve us from feelings of antip antipathy, doubt, and uncertainty. End quote. 
Freud warns us that even jam theories might have merit and that the theory sorting rubric outlined above is not infallible. But where does this leave us? The fact remains that the vast majority of jam theories are bogus. How do we know when to research a jam theory and when to reject it at the outset? The answer, I believe, is that we have no choice but to follow the rubric and reject the jam theories at the outset. Even though this might lead us to reject theories which later prove to be valid, Freud's method is still the most rational and consistent approach we can take. Needless to say, we must never close our minds to a jam theory. And if someone shows us evidence or compelling arguments for such a theory, then we should be intellectually honest enough to retract our decision and change our minds. So that's the end of the blog post. And um, I don't think I need to connect the dots. But uh, uh, as I said in the beginning, uh, many of the theories I have heard about uh, you know, by the anti-vaxxers and by the coronavirus conspiracy theorists, um, frankly, <laughs> are jam theories. Uh, they, uh, they rely on dubious data. They make assertions, uh, that are uh, very, very improbable. Um, they posit, uh, uh, facts or rely on, on, on a network of, of, hidden motives by multiple parties. And, uh, you know, again, this is why we reject conspiracy theories. Um, again, is this to say that, that all conspiracy theories are false? No, there have been real conspiracies before, but according to Freud, uh, and according, I think to, to reason, uh, it is, uh, it is entirely rational to reject from the outset, uh, anything that is a conspiracy theory or that is, uh, you know, meets the criteria of what Freud calls a jam theory. And I think that uh, we would all be in a better position if we were to bear this, uh, this you know, threefold rubric in mind when assessing uh, answers and ideas that are given by people, whether in real, you know, whether in, in politics or in Torah or in science or in any other area. That is it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today and would like to support my production of even more Torah content, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. The link is in the description. Thank you to my listeners for listening, and thank you to my patrons for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbischneeweiss at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading, and thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.